couple of weeks ago talking about the spirit of Christmas and only because it was the, that season. And I said, the world talks about the spirit of Christmas, but they don't know what the spirit of Christmas is. The spirit of Christmas is giving gifts. It started with God giving the greatest gift, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could receive the gift of eternal life. In John, it says, in John chapter 1, it says, For as many as receive him and believe in him, he has given them the right to be sons or children of God. That's the greatest gift of all. Can we agree? It's the greatest gift of all. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, and this has been my text, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. So after Jesus died on the cross, after he went into the belly of hell and took the keys of hell and death away from Satan, and uh, after all that, he appeared back on earth over 500 people eyewitnesses saw him and he spent time with his disciples and then he ascended to heaven and he said the Holy Spirit would come. Now this scripture says when he ascended he gave gifts to men. The context, that verse, if you read it in its chapter, some of the gifts that it's talking about is the gift of apostleship, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. So contextually, right then and there, that verse specifically was speaking of apostleship, pastorship, prophet, the office of a prophet. But the truth is, nonetheless, that as he ascended, he gave gifts to the church. This morning, I want to talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not common that you find something written in all four Gospels. Sometimes you'll find a story or a truth in one of the Gospels. Usually it's in two, sometimes even in three of the Gospels. It doesn't usually often fall into all four Gospels. This next verse that I'm going to read to you is actually written in four, all four Gospels. It's written in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, and I'm going to read that particular verse. But it's reiterated by Mark in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, in, by Luke in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, and by the Apostle John in John chapter 1, verse 33. And in Matthew, Jesus is coming to be baptized, uh, and John the Baptist is going around baptizing people in water, and he makes a statement, I baptize you with water for repentance. A man baptizes another fellow or woman in water as an act of, I have repented. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And we all know from having read scriptures, John the Baptist was speaking of Jesus. But he says, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Men baptize in water. Jesus baptizes us 
in, his, in the Holy Spirit of God. What's really interesting is if you study the Gospels, the Gospel of John is, starts differently than the other Gospels. The other Gospels do the genealogy of Jesus. And they go through the nativity and, you know, hark the herald angels, and they tell all of those stories, and they all take it from a different perspective. John almost skips over all of that, and he starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing that was created was created without Him. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he skips all the genealogy stuff. And it would almost seem like he's not going to say what the other three gospel writers say. And he goes off on a track by the Holy Spirit. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, I don't know how quickly you'd be able to pull it up, Matt. I'm sorry, I, I do this to you occasionally. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 33, out of nowhere, John makes reference to this same conversation. Even though his Gospel starts so differently than all the others. And John starts talking about how Jesus will be the one who will baptize us in the Holy Spirit. See, I caught Matt off guard. That's my fault, folks. If you're waiting, how many of you have it in front of you? How many of you have your Bible? Who's got it in front of you? Can I borrow yours for a minute? There you go. Verse 33, And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so John starts his gospel very differently, but all of a sudden does, and he comes back and he talks about the same thing the other three writers said. Look, it's like God putting an exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. He made sure it was said four times. So why am I dwelling on this? Because this isn't talked enough about in the church of Jesus Christ, and yet God made sure he mentioned it in all four Gospels. This is a big deal. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to teach and talk and preach about the Holy Spirit. He's not a thing. He's not it from the Adams family. He's not a force from the universe. He is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. God came forth as a man. We know him as Jesus Christ. God visits his church as his Holy Spirit. And we're meant to have relationship with the Holy Spirit the same way we have relationship with Jesus. I should qualify that. The same way we have relationship with others. You're meant to have a day-to-day -day relationship with Jesus. That's where religion ends and Christianity becomes a reality. This is not a set of rules or ordinances that we follow. We literally have a relationship with the Son of God. And we talk with Him and we laugh with Him and He corrects us sometimes, but He's always loving us and understanding us. And Jesus said, I must go 
because there's only one of me. I, I, I'm limited by a body, but I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost, and he'll be everywhere, every, at, at all the time, anytime, and, and he will minister to you. He will comfort you, lead you, guide you, teach you. You really need him. So the four gospel writers all mention the fact that Jesus would send the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 11, verse 11 to 13, Jesus says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you have the, and what he means here is, if you then that are evil, if you who have the potential to sin and do wrong, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Wow. God doesn't assume anything. You ask Jesus in your heart, but you've got to ask for the Holy Spirit as well. That's what Jesus said, written by the Apostle Luke. Well, let's see what Jesus said in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, this is after Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his church on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And then watch what he does. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Guys, the first five books of the New Covenant, that scripture reference is reiterated. Jesus is repeating what John said. John, uh, Matthew writes what John said. Mark writes what John said. Uh, Luke writes what John said. And uh, John writes what John the Baptist said. But then in the book of Acts, Jesus points back to what John said and repeats it himself. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, book of Acts. And I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. This is a big deal. How many of you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are uh, a number of, well, there's a lot of confusion sometimes about the things that are spirit. There's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And our, some people think that the supernatural works that took place in the early church aren't for today. And I'm not looking to have an argument with you. And they're good people. They love Jesus. They go into heaven. But they have a different perspective. I find that it's important that we always say, God, what, what does your word actually say? And so some people will teach, well, that stuff's not for today. Okay? It's too freaky. God only did it to launch his church. And the scripture that's used to teach that 
comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. So I want to dispel a few myths. Let's call this a myth-busting teaching session, okay? Uh, it's not for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, this is what they, in fact, it's the only scripture that they stand on. Now, if you've ever studied hermeneutics or you studied theology, you will know you cannot build a doctrine on one scripture. Amen. Bottom line, it is one of the most basic fundamental rules to interpreting scripture. Love never fails. Everybody said? Amen. Come on. Everybody said? Amen. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And by the way, the Bible's not saying we'll all become stupid and not have knowledge. It's referring to the word of knowledge, which Jesus often operated in. He'd walk up to a woman or to a gentleman, and suddenly God would download information and he would know things about them. It's called the gift of the word of knowledge. We see it in operation at the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus just knew stuff about her, and it was a sign and a wonder to her. And she turned around and said, whoa, you've got to be a prophet. And the woman ends up having a wonderful experience with Christ and becomes a preacher, so to speak. She gathers all the people to hear him. Okay, so it says these things will disappear. Okay, everyone see that? We're going to read verse 9, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, we have a certain measure. Verse 10, but when completeness, some translations say perfection comes, what is in part will disappear. Okay, so my question to you and your question should be, what is completeness or what is perfection? People who believe that the manifestation and the gifts of the Spirit have stopped, at this point they will say, well, when the Scriptures, the New Testament Scriptures were finally gathered together and approved by the fathers of the faith as holy Scriptures, and they were compiled as a book, the New Testament, it's what we call in theology the canonization of scriptures. The scriptures were canonized. In other words, the fathers of the faith said these are inspired scriptures. We recognize them. We call them a part of the Holy Bible. And so they say, well, that's when perfection came. When we got the complete word of God. Now we have the Old Testament. Now we have the new. Now we have the complete word of God. We don't need prophecies. We don't need tongues. We don't need any of those things. The problem is that whenever you interpret scripture, you must interpret scripture in light of the context of what's written. And nowhere... There are 13 verses in chapter 13. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There are 13 verses. Nowhere in those 13 verses will you see the context about or any subject matter about the canonization of Scripture. In fact, in all the chapters of 1 Corinthians, you will not find the subject matter of the canonization of Scripture. 
So what is Paul saying here? Because so many people are missing out on the gift of the Holy Spirit. God mentioned it in all four Gospels, and then he gets Jesus to mention it so that it's written in the book of Acts. How many of you agree that's got to be pretty big stuff? And yet, if it's big to God, how many of you would agree the enemy would want to squash it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, what is the context? I already told you, nowhere in all of 1 Corinthians is the subject of the Bible being canonized ever brought up. So, if it's never the subject, listen, it can never be the context. If it's never the subject, if, it, if it's not even a subject, if it's not a discussion point, how can it be the context? So then you have to ask yourself, well, what was Paul saying? What was Paul saying? What is the context? And I want to show you in chapter 13. Now let's look at the context. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now... We see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, when is now? It's not a trick question. When is now? When is then? Somewhere in the future? For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Who are we going to see face to face? Somewhere in the future, who are we going to see face to face? Yeah, God the Father. And when, how many of you agree that when we all finally get to eternity, completion has come. Perfection has come. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back in the air and we get raptured, it says we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. God wants to make sure that perfection visits us on our way to heaven. <laughs> what he put up with with me here on earth, he's not going to put up with over there, Derek. He's going to change me in the twinkling of an eye. When we all get to heaven, we've come to a state of perfection. Church, this it's not only scriptural, here's the context, but this is what I love about the spiritual things of God. They're not wackadoo. They make sense. When we are face to face with God and when we are in eternity, you're not going to need the gift of healing because you're going to walk in divine health. When you're in eternity with angels around you, you're not going to need the gift of discerning of spirits because the enemy's already going to have been thrown into the eternal lake of fire. When we're in eternity, you're not going to need to prophesy about the future because all things will be known. When you're in eternity, you're not going to need the gift of the word of knowledge. So this one scripture and only this scripture becomes the foundation for many people to say, oh no, that doesn't happen today. And yet God made sure, Matthew wrote about it, Mark wrote about it, Luke wrote about it, John wrote about it, and it's recorded in the book of Acts. And you know what? The apostle Paul wrote a lot about it too. He really did. 
Praise God. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost? We already know the idea that these things have stopped doesn't fit the context of that chapter. And I've already told you, you can't build scripture on one verse. So does the Bible say it's for now? Well, if we visit what happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. People are praying in tongues. They're speaking in tongues. People that are visiting Jerusalem for a holy festival, the, fest, the Feast of Pentecost. They're from all different nations, and they're hearing these people. He's talking my language. She's talking her language. And some said they must be drunk. But a drunk man doesn't articulate carefully with praise in an unlearned language. And Peter gets up and he, he gives an explanation. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now he's quoting the prophet Joel. So even Joel from the Old Testament talks about this. And Peter quotes the Old Testament. Guys, this has got to be a big thing in God's eyes. And if it's a big thing to God, how many of you think it should be a big thing to us? He quotes the prophet Joel and he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. He's saying this as an explanation of why they're praying in tongues. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and old, I pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says in the last days. How many of you agree that when Peter and John were preaching, those were the last days? Were they? Yeah. How many of you agree if that was the last days, we're even more so in the last days? And God says in the Old Testament through the prophet Joel, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And this is Peter's explanation, anointed by the Holy Ghost and written in Scripture. This is why they're praying in tongues. The Holy Spirit has come to visit. He is being poured out. Some will say that was only for the first 200, 300 years of the church. It stopped after that. There's no scriptural basis for that. They look to history and say, well, it's not as obvious anymore in history. Hey, go back to Israel's history. There were times they were on fire for God, and there were times they were dead cold. We all understand we need revival. Revival is to be brought back to the fire. Hey, the f we don't build doctrine on circumstances. We don't build doctrine on history. We don't build doctrine on experience. We build doctrine on the Word of God and only the Word of God. Yes. So 
The Word of God in context didn't say it'll cease in this lifetime. And the Word of God in the prophet Joel and in the Word of God in, in the apostle Peter says, I will do this in the last days and I will pour out my flesh, my spirit on all flesh. Praise God for that. But you know what? There's even more proof in the same chapter. In chapter 2, verse 38 to 39, look at this. Peter replied, repent. 3,000 people are about to get saved. That's what happened. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Water baptism is the baptism of repentance. He said, you need to repent. You need to ask Jesus in your heart. If you're here today, start the new year out. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, you need to ask Jesus Christ in your heart. Amen. You need to admit, we're all broken. We're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. We need the Son of God to live inside of us. Thank you, Julio. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Are you saved? Then God's the one who called you to salvation. And this gift is for everyone who has been called into the house of God for salvation. You know, look, I understand. I'm as human as you. We like to control everything. We want to understand everything. The whole key is that God doesn't want you to live out of your head. He wants you to live out of your spirit. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Instead of Adam and Eve living out of their spirit, they were enticed. Look at this fruit. God said, you'll die. No, you won't really die, at least not immediately. If you eat it, you'll have knowledge of good and evil. How many of you know that God, no evil thing is hidden from God? He has knowledge of evil, correct? Yes. How many of you know God can be trusted with the knowledge of evil? He's never going to partake. How many of you can be honest enough and admit the knowledge of evil is sometimes dangerous in our hands? Because sometimes we partake. Satan says to Adam, hmm, he's talking to Eve, actually, he's talking to her soul. The soul is made up of the intellect and the emotion and the will. And he says, if you eat this, you'll have the knowledge of good like you do and the knowledge of evil. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, if I have the option of starting all over again, I'll pass on the knowledge of evil and give me a double portion of the knowledge of good. Amen. I'd rather be innocent and a little bit stupid. I don't want to be wise in the ways of the world. I want to be wise in the things of innocent and wise in the things of love. Can I get agreement here? Come on. Am I talking your language? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And then he also said to Eve, look, doesn't it look yummy, delicious? And the Bible says she saw it was good for food, the body. He appealed to the soul and the body. That was man's downfall. Instead of living from his spirit, which is obedient to the word of God, he lived with a desire for knowledge, emotional experience, and what the body needs. The world says we are body, soul, and spirit. And they call a person spiritual if they hug a tree. I hugged a tree. He hugged a tree. He felt so in tune with God. He is so one with God. Does that mean that if you chop a tree down, you're no longer one with God? We don't use the world's definition. We use God's definition. The world says you're body, soul, and spirit. The Bible says you are spirit, soul, and then body. The body never lives without the spirit. So when the body appears, spirit is present. But when the body fades and dies, the spirit continues to live. You are predominantly a spirit being. And so sometimes in religion and sometimes in good-meaning Christians, we don't like things to get too out of control, you know, too supernatural. And yet... Good Christians will let their kids read about Harry Potter. You say, really, Pastor, you're going to go there? Yeah, I am. Because what you will accept as make-believe, what you will accept as fantasy, is the graduation. It is the slow process of accepting as reality. That's why Jesus said, you sin in your imagination before you ever actually do it. Because what you can fantasize about has the potential to become your reality. At the Tower of Babel, God said nothing they imagine will be impossible for them. Church, are you hearing me? Yes. Now, does that mean you see a Harry Potter book on the table and right away you do the sign of the cross and say, Oh, I cast the devil out. No, come on, let's not be ridiculous. I am not intimidated by that, but I am not going to partake in it either. Oh, a devil in that book. Get the book out of the house. That spirit's going to take. Do you know who you are? Do you understand who you are in Christ? There's no comparison between what and who we are in Christ and the kingdom of darkness. But by the same token, you could turn around and say, oh, well, this is innocent. It's just fantasy. Why is it the devil's promoting the gifts of the occult and the church is silencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit? If I was the devil, and I'll be the first to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. Okay? If I was the devil, I'd want the gifts of my supernatural power working on the earth, and I would want to stop the gifts of the Holy Ghost. How many of you are hearing me? Amen. I only got halfway through my message, so we're gonna, that'll be part two. Is it for today? Yes, it is for today. And don't let religion and don't let a good, well-meaning pastor from your past 
influence your future today. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God wants you to be full of His Spirit. Look, in this church we see a lot of healings. We see a lot of miracles. We see people get set free from demonic strongholds. I'm not ashamed of that. This is a Spirit-filled church, okay? My roots are Pentecostal. Some of the things I learned in the Pentecostal circle were a little bit off. I've had to see the mind of God. I've had to break from some things that were just opinion or tradition. But by the same token, the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be supernatural because the God we worship is supernatural. If everything about your life is only natural and supernatural stuff's not happening, you're only living out of your natural self. You are spirit. Spirit produces spirit. Spirit is at home with the supernatural. The natural is at home with the natural. So if you really are a spirit, if I'm a spirit, then I should expect to also live out of the spirit and live in the realm of the spirit as well as in the realm of the natural. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Amen. You see, we want God who is supernatural to come to church and act natural. It's his house. And he'll have a party if he wants to. Why would I preach these things? Because the Bible is, preaches it a lot. But also, because we need more than just natural strength. We are in the last days. And sweetheart, I'm believing for a revival And I believe we're going to see more of a revival. But let me assure you, don't protect your kids from the Holy Ghost. You need to protect them from the spirit that's in the world. We get so caught up with the world and we let our kids do almost anything out there. And then we want to put a a cross on anything to do with the supernatural of God. Rubbish. I'm spirit first. I'm a spirit man. You're a spirit person. And we want the Holy Spirit around our lives. I want God to do miracles. They benefit people around me, and sometimes they benefit me. I want the gifts of healing. I want the prophetic utterance of the Holy Spirit. I want the gift of discernment working. How many of you want to walk around like a dodo bird? You know, dodo birds are extinct now. There's a reason why they were called dodo birds. No, I want the gift of discernment. I want the gift of wisdom. I want the gift of word and knowledge. And church, what I'm saying is, is this just about talking in tongues? No, that's the launching pad. God wants you to be full of his Holy Spirit so that you could live as a positive, natural man, a natural woman, positive, full of faith, but then also live in the fullness of the power and the character of the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, give the Lord a round of applause. Come on. Come on, church. We're going to stand. Can we stand? I'm going to ask, can we have some worship music? 
Uh, I want to leave all the musicians free if they want to respond to the altar call, uh, that they can do that. Stephen, if we could just have a worship track playing. First and foremost, the first most important gift is the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation. Now, maybe someone baptized you into the church and said, that's it, you're done, you're good. No, you got to ask for Jesus to come into your heart. Grace and faith won't take you to heaven. We can point the way. But being a part or a member of this church will not take you to heaven. Only you asking Jesus in your heart can ever get you to heaven. And you need to have a relationship with the Son of God. He wants to talk to you. He wants to live with you. He wants to party with you. He wants to help you. He wants to love you. And so, if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, right now, you need to make that decision. That's an awesome decision. So, come on. Put your hand up if you want to ask Christ into your heart. You've never done this. You want to do it. Maybe you're backslidden and you've been away from the things of God, but you want to come back. Put your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. Come on. Put your hand up. Don't be shy. I'd rather put my hand up than be in that miserable condition of being far from God and knowing I'm far from God. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to ask Jesus in my heart. I want to get things right. And Father, I pray right now that you will touch every man, every woman. Not that they live in fear, constantly questioning their salvation, but that they live in faith, knowing their salvation. Jesus' name. All right. What we're going to do is, I'm, I've asked certain of the leaders and workers in this church to help me pray. I'm going to open the altar for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'll teach more on it next week. And teach more on Him, the Holy Spirit, as well. But I will talk more about the baptism. I'm going to ask Pastor Fred and Elizabeth. I have history with these people. I know their heart. I know who they are. We have history. We've walked together. We share. Their son is my son-in-law. I'm going to ask them to come and pray. I've got other workers that I've asked. Come, start walking out the front right now. And if you're wanting the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the ability to pray in tongues, next week I'm going to talk about why tongues are so important how they benefit you. I'll, I'll give you three reasons from Scripture of why tongues are so important in your everyday life. But if you've never received this promise, if you've never had that experience, wow! It will just start to open up your spirit and cause you to grow in a spiritual level. If you don't talk in tongues, does it mean you won't go to heaven? No. We don't teach that. There have been some abuses and misuses. No, it's a gift. But it'll bless you. It'll bless you tremendously. I attribute the baptism in the Holy Spirit to God evening out my personality. I used to have high highs. How many of you noticed pastor could get real excited? No one? You've never noticed I could get real excited? How many of you ever seen me jump up on a chair in the middle of my preaching? 
right? I can get very emotional. I can get very excited. But I used to also get really depressed, super depressed. And so I'd have these huge swings. But one of the things that happened in my life is that as my spirit grew and as I prayed in this heavenly language, things I didn't know about me, but the Spirit of God was praying with my spirit, my personality started to level out. I still have the high highs. I don't have the super lows anymore. I have hard times, but not the swings like before. That's just a personal benefit. But the Holy Spirit, as you get this gift, it will build your spirit. And I'll give you scriptural evidence. Go into these things more and more next week. But right now, those of you who'd like to receive the baptism, I'm going to close the service. Those of you who need to go, of course, you're blessed to go. Thank you for being here. Uh, church, Friday night, night of worship, 7 o'clock. Let's do it. Pastor Steve, the pastor of our worship, said, let's be singing more of you, Holy Spirit, more of you. And those of you who want to receive prayer, for anything, but especially right now, if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, step out of your seat. Come on. Come on down the front, and they're going to pray with you. We're going to pray with you. I'm going to pray over the whole congregation and dismiss everyone. And those of you who want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of praying in tongues, I encourage you to just step out. Father, I bless these people now. In Jesus' name, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. And I thank you that you have given gifts and are giving gifts to mankind. And we receive your gifts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week. Come on out the front if you want prayer. We want to pray with you. Amen. God bless you.